When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Almost time for the start of the college football season. We're so glad you guys are with us and have been with us as we enter our second season of the College Football Survivor Show. It's Doug and Shahan, and we are, this is our last preseason ranking Shahan of hey we have all our contenders and how do they stack up against each other in different areas we've done defense we've done running backs receivers how easy their path is we did head coaches last week and we've been saving this we're doing quarterbacks today and you and I we have 11 contenders in our mix so far next week on this show we will make our playoff picks so we're we have like we'll have all the foundation laid and then i don't know after you lay a foundation what do you make like the sun porch next week we'll make a sun porch that's the first building the first room you build in a house right on never, i never build a house um so we'll do that next week but we have to do all this stuff first and we each picked one more team to talk about because we go to a max of 12 teams that we are willing to have in our playoff mix and you and I each pick the team, and we'll reveal them in a second. But I want to have a conversation about quarterbacks first, Shahan. When we look at the eight quarterbacks that have won the national title in the playoff era, in the national championship game it was Cardell Jones of Ohio State, Jake Coker of Alabama, Deshaun Watson of Clemson, Jalen Hurts, and then an important little part of Tua Tonga Vailoa at Alabama, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Joe Burrow at LSU, Mac Jones at Alabama, and last year Stetson Bennett at Georgia. Do you need a great quarterback to win it all? Do you need a great quarterback to make the playoff? Do you? Because when we're g- we're going to rank these quarterbacks, right? And there's some great ones. And then fairly quickly, I feel like you get to a point of, oh yeah, I think I think they're pretty good, but I don't know that they're going to carry any team to the playoff. But they can not prevent a team from getting to the playoff. This is mostly a Stetson Bennett conversation. I can't, I can't hide it. It's like, we were in a world that's like, hey, you got to have Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow. And then it's like, no, you can have Stetson Bennett. How good does a quarterback have to be, especially as we apply it to the season? I, I think that the answer to that question is you have some leeway, assuming you have the greatest defense in the history of college football. And if not, you should probably have a good quarterback. That would probably help you out a whole lot. Uh, and, and granted, I mean, I think that, that when you look at this whole Georgia discussion and this whole Stetson Bennett discussion, like he was very efficient, right? Legitimately, he, he, he made a lot of good decisions. And between Brock Bowers and Jermaine Burton, their passing game was a plus, right? Like their, their passing game was a plus, even though he as an individual player was fine. You know, maybe at best, I, I think that they were sort of plus enough in the passing game that it was OK. Now, I don't think that anybody else can get away with that. Maybe Alabama, actually not maybe Alabama can get away with that. They can get away with having pretty good, not great quarterback play. I don't think anybody else can. I, I don't think that Ohio State can. I don't think Clemson can. I mean, Clemson can't. 
with the defense they have this year? If DJ's average? Look at the two quarterbacks who won them national championships. Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Not average. Better. Decidedly not average. In fact, them having such an elite defense and not having good quarterbacks is going to be, in my opinion, the reason that they don't make the playoff. Because I think that they do need that. And actually, I, I mean, not to make this a whole Clemson discussion, but I think that Clemson is as, like, star-driven as any of these teams that we've seen uh, in the playoff era. Because when you look at sort of the the core stuff, right, the depth, the recruiting, the line play, stuff like that, uh, in terms of offensive line, like, they're not elite at that stuff. But they are just so elite at quarterback. They're so elite at receiver. They're so elite uh, at running back. They're so elite on the defensive line that they've been able to make up for the fact that they're only okay on the offensive line over the past decade. And with a quarterback who's not special, I, I just don't think that you can be that kind of team. Now you're making me consider my Clemson probable playoff pick for next week. Okay, that was a good point. That was a good point. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, two of the four teams last year, we're, we're watching the playoff last year. Bryce Young is, man, we had a big discussion on the Apple show this week. And that's an Apple show where you use your thumb and a robot scans your thumb. And for two, and then you have an Apple ID. And for $2.99 a month, you get all of the bonus episodes. We like to call them bonus episodes. Extra. Little, you know, little, little, nice little pick-me-up in your week. We do that second show, and if you guys want to be part of that, it's $2.99. You pay for the month, you get four shows. So it's less than a dollar a show. We did our draft of the 10 best players on these playoff contenders. So we had a pretty healthy quarterback discussion about the best quarterbacks on these teams. So we won't, on this show, go quite as much into Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and some of those guys because we went into them a lot on the other show this week. But Bryce Young, special, special, special. And Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati last year was really good. And Desmond Ritter has looked pretty good in the preseason for the Atlanta Falcons. I thought you could draft him and expect him to be your starting quarterback in the NFL. I was a little surprised he lasted until the third round. I was pretty high on him. I think I would have taken him ahead of anybody in that draft class. And I think he's he's had a good preseason game. He was zipping balls all over the place. In a way, Shahan, that I was like, well, why didn't you just do that against Alabama? And Cincinnati might have had a chance. I'm not going to get caught up in that just because I picked Cincinnati to beat Alabama last year. But you had two teams last year in Michigan and Georgia that I think were very similar in that they did have more of this game manager style of quarterback with great defenses and then Michigan really leaned on its run game, right? But but Cade McNamara at Michigan and Stetson Bennett at Georgia, when you would have run down a list of who are the best players on those two teams, it's no, it's not this. It sounds like disrespect. Can we just do a blanket? We're not disrespecting anybody on this show ever. We're just trying to give our honest college football analysis. No disrespect, only of each other. Well, I wouldn't disrespect you. You did a whole thing. There's like this meme out there about uh, Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling is dressed all handsome and Steve Carell is dressed like a schlub with baggy mom jeans and, and an untucked shirt. And somebody was like sports writers under 35 and sports writers over 35. And you did something about drip. And it was like, yes, I'm Steve Carell. I'm the living embodiment of that. So there might be disrespect aimed at me because I have wear untucked shirts. I, I so I tend to uh, I I would uh, of course I think that this is probably not the podcast where you're getting the main demographic that watches this show. But 
I watched season one of Queer Eye over on Netflix, and uh, they taught me a technique called the front tuck, which is basically you just tuck in the front of it and not the rest of it. So you kind of get an effect of the lengthening out of tucking in the front of your shirt, but you don't necessarily have to go as over the top as tucking in your whole shirt. So, uh, by the way, I did look it up, actually. So um, you asked before we headed on, you know, what's like the age difference between these two, uh, between Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell. You know, this movie w- uh, came out in 2011. And so, you know, they're probably filming 2009, 2010. Yeah. If, if they were filming in 2009, they would have been like 29 and 48, which is wow. pretty much pretty much what we're at. <laughs> you are 28, right? I'm 28. And I am 48. Yeah. <laughs> we are. That is us. I'm going to cut out our heads. I'm going to cut out our heads and put it on that photo. You guys can go find that. I love Steve Carell. I'm happy to be Steve Carell. I, he's great. He's great. I also can remember being in a city one time with my family and there was a mannequin where the the mannequin, the front of the mannequin shirt was tucked in and the back of the mannequin shirt was not tucked in. And I stood on the street for 10 minutes and yelled about the mannequin. <laughs> what is this? How can you have half tuck, half untuck? I cannot live in this world. And now you're telling me it's on Queer Eye. Okay, we're different. <laughs> so you can disrespect me, but we're not going to disrespect anybody. I, I will say, I will say real quick. Uh, I saw somebody else post that picture with the caption, uh, 2022 Gen Z style trying to tell 2011 millennial style what's coming because all that stuff is in again. Like new balances are like hot in Ooh. the streets now for like college students and they wear all this relaxed fit stuff. So it's actually come full circle. You're actually very fashionable. Now. Oh, I knew that would happen. I just knew it. I'm so excited. Okay. Cade McNamara, if you ran down a list of Michigan's 10 best players last year, I'm, I'm not sure Cade McNamara is on it. If you ran down a list of Georgia's 10 best players last year, Stetson Bennett's definitely not on it. That's because they had so many good players. So it, it is a very specific way of thinking about it. But you can get, I think you can get into an idea of like, well, Joe Burrow. And it's like, well, if you don't have Joe Burrow, what are you going to do? I don't know if Stetson Bennett was a blip, but like there's, because I think there's a couple teams I think half the teams of our 11 right now, Shahan, are much closer to a Stetson Bennett scenario of what they would look like as a playoff team than they would be to a Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow scenario right now. Okay. CJ Stroud in Ohio State. That's a Joe Burrow scenario. Bryce Young in Alabama, even though they have Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, that's a Joe Burrow scenario. But if we're talking about Baylor as a playoff team, if we're talking about BYU as a playoff team, if we're talking about even like a Clemson path or Michigan again, you know, like I think you get into that Stetson Bennett path. Should Georgia give teams who don't have, and I I think it's not a bad distinction to say an NFL quarterback. Like I, I don't, Maybe Stetson Bennett, again, come back to me when Stetson Bennett's Tom Brady. I've been I've been doubting Stetson Bennett before I even knew who he was. So, like, the idea that, like, this guy who I randomly was just like, what, this guy? And then he wins the national championship and maybe he'll repeat this year. I'm sure, like, he'll mention me in his Hall of Fame speech someday. But I think NFL quarterback is not a bad shorthand for this kind of discussion, right? And it feels like there's a bunch of teams that are going to try to pl- make the playoff without an NFL quarterback – and, you know, Michigan and Georgia did that pretty well last year. Should should teams look and say, yeah, we're going to do it the Stetson Bennett Georgia way? Or as you said, does that only work if you have the greatest defense of all time? 
Well, I think that these are two separate questions too, right? Because I think that one of these questions is, can you win a national championship without one of these guys? And one of these is, can you make the playoff without it? Because I'd point to to last year. I mean, Michigan, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy, I, I'd say that they had pretty good, not great quarterback play. And that was enough to make the playoff, right? Like that was enough to get to the stage. It was nowhere near close enough to actually be able to compete for the national championship. So that's where I think that we have to draw this distinction, right? Like I think that that you can make the playoff without a star quarterback, but I do think also to get to that point, if you are a program that hasn't been there before, you probably need something special at quarterback. You know, we'll we'll get into this discussion. Obviously, you know, I'm a big 12 guy, so I'll mention it. I mean, I think that's a big part of the reason why Baylor moved away from Gary Bohannon and went to Blake Shapin is because they felt like he has more of a chance to be special, whereas Gary Bohannon gives you something that you know. You know that Gary Bohannon's going to be solid. You know what he's going to be able to do. But they feel like Blake Shapin has more upside in the passing game, and that's why they went to him because if you want to compete for the playoff and if you want to compete for the national stage, you probably need more than just managing a game. If you are not... You know, again, there are three sort of colossus programs when it comes to recruiting right now, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. If you're not one of those three programs, I, I think you probably need to start a quarterback more times than not. And again, we, we have individual exceptions. We have Michigan last year, but I, I think that we would have to view that as an exception and not necessarily as something that... I, I don't think if you're anybody else in college football, you should say, well, all we have to do is have pretty good quarterback play and also two first round defensive ends. You know, like that's not something you can project necessarily. Um, so so for me, I think that you need to to feel like you have a plus playmaker at the position. It doesn't have to be Joe Burrow, right? It doesn't have to be that level. I, I think that the line is probably a little... I guess lower is the way that you describe it. And we'll get into it when we do our quarterback rankings. Um, But I I think that the line, when we look at the 11 teams, especially that we've put in so far, I I think that the line is a little more forgiving than maybe what it would take to win a national championship. Okay. Which is an important distinction. And we try to make that distinction on this podcast all the time. It's not a podcast about winning a national championship. It's a podcast about making the playoff and that there there is a difference there. And I think Michigan's the perfect example. Michigan was no doubt about it. One thousand percent. Absolutely a playoff team last year in every single aspect. They earned it across the board all year, but especially in the game when it mattered against Ohio State. And then they got to the playoff and they weren't good enough. Right. So it's like it's if you want to have a picture, what do you mean by make the playoff, but not really have a chip that that (laughs) did you see what that right. And that is not because if we're again, if we're going to have a show about who can win the national championship, we're going to be on here talking about three and a half teams every season. So we don't we don't want to do that. We want to be more expansive than that. But I do think there are a couple teams that are in the discussion this year, Shahan, that are normally not in the discussion. And one of the really big reasons those teams are here is because they have a chance for their quarterback play to be elite. Maybe not Heisman elite, but lead the team kind of elite, which maybe isn't always the case at programs like that. All conference, I, I think, is enough. I think that all yes. conference is enough to be in that discussion. You just, you just can't. And I mean, obviously, there are conferences that are more competitive than others when it comes to being all conference. But, but if you have all conference performance, I think that's enough to get you in the discussion. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the College Football Survivor Show. We would love to have you guys join us on Twitter. That's where you can vote. That's where you're going to be able to ask us questions. We'd like to take questions from the Twitter audience once we get into the season. That's CFB Survivor Show. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter. Tell a friend. When we come back, should Houston and and or, no, not and or, or Wisconsin, Houston or Wisconsin, join the playoff mix next after this. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. If Alabama is a defensive first team and Will Anderson replicates what he did last year and maybe has some key moments, I think that a lot of people will be very excited to vote for Will Anderson for the Heisman. Is he your pick? He's my pick. Maybe it's not just us. I don't want to say it's only us. I I think we were early on it. I do think we were early on it. But I do think these kind of discussions, as they happen everywhere... I think do matter. I think the the pump is primed for him. Everything at the moment is happening that needs to happen for him. Now he just needs to go out and be who he is. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Shahan, we have 11 teams in our playoff mix as we approach the start of the season from the SEC. It's Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. From the ACC, it's Clemson and North Carolina State. From the Big Ten, it's Ohio State and Michigan. From the Big 12, it's Baylor. From the Pac-12, it's Utah and USC. And then we have independent BYU. Those are the 11 teams that we have put in so far. I was going you know, through the AP preseason top 25. Doesn't all match up. You know, we didn't put in Notre Dame. We didn't put in Oklahoma. BYU's 25th in the country, and they're here. We think about it a, a little differently, and I like the way we think about it because I think it's a big-picture, realistic look at who you are, but also how you'd get there. So that applies to both of these teams here today in Houston and Wisconsin. You are making the case for Houston, and you did so – also at cbssports.com, where you are a full-time staffer. And there were some Houston people. You got that city, right? I mean, yeah, they're excited about the Astros. Like they have, there's other stuff going on there. I get it, right? You know, Clyde Drexler, I don't know who's on. They have other things to like in Houston. But they like you right now because your pitch for why Houston could be good, but also have a playoff. This is not, you're not putting on an act here. This is, this is the real Shahan. There's nothing more real than Shahan J. Haraja making a case for a non-Power 5 team from Texas to make the playoff. Frankly, this is as real as it gets. What is it? (laughs) Well, I will say uh, I'm still from Dallas, so I don't think that Houston people will fully embrace me, but, you know, we'll get pretty close. Uh, Look, it's very simple. Houston went 12 and 2 last year, beat an SEC team in a bowl game, and brings the vast majority of their production back from the team that won 12 games last year. Uh, quarterback Clayton Toon, I think, is really coming into his own. He completed 68% of his passes last year. A really, really special player, I think. Um, by the way, they have one of the most special group of five wide receivers in the country. But probably one, I mean, I'm, I'm underselling him. A tank Dell at receiver 
is a Sunday player. He could start for almost anybody in the country, if not anybody in the country, uh, with what he's been able to do at Houston over the past couple of years. You have to like the depth there in that room as well. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, and then defensively, they've got such a track record of developing and putting guys into the NFL on the defensive line in the secondary. Uh, I think that you have to just assume that they're going to continue to do that. Derek Parrish is a name at defensive end who's going to probably be a Sunday player. Uh, Chidozi Nwanku is another player on the defensive line who I think is going to be an NFL player. They've just got a power five level roster and not just a, a power five level roster, a good power five level roster. And so when you talk about going into this year, I think that they are poised to win every game on their schedule. I think that they're the best team in the AAC. I, I think that they're going to have a chance to be 13 and zero and have a chance to, to make a playoff case. And the only question, and I'm sure what you're probably going to get into is the schedule doesn't have a Notre Dame like Cincinnati had last year. So they're going to need some help. But uh, I, I think that when you talk about a team winning 23 games over two regular seasons, that's going to still be enough in a year where I don't think we're going to have four superstar teams to get into the discussion. UTSA, Texas Tech, Kansas, Rice. And then they don't play Cincinnati. And who's the other team they don't play in the American? Like they don't play the UCF. two other best. They don't play UCF. I Mine, yes, you already made my case for me. 12 and 0, quite possibly. 13 and 0, win the conference title, quite possibly. 0% chance of getting in, even if they do that. They don't have, listen, back in 2016, because the other thing is, I think you have to, I think we, we've talked about this a lot. I like this discussion. How does it happen? And I like that we now have proof of how it happens. Cincinnati is the proof. Cincinnati had two things. Cincinnati had juice coming into the season based off their previous year where they were in the conversation. They were being disrespected. People didn't believe in them, but then maybe some people came around. But bottom line is people were thinking and talking about them because they had a really good year. Let's address that first. Houston had a good year last year. Do they have enough preseason juice from anyone other than you? Like, are they, are they in the conversation of, because this is not about, can you go undefeated? This is about, is, is that group of people in the playoff committee room going to really consider you and put you in? What's their juice level right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I think that they are overlooked for what they did last year. I think that if you told anybody that there was a team that won 12 games last year, brings a lot of people back and beat an SEC team in a bowl, to start number 24 in the country is pretty shocking to me i mean we had this discussion with byu last week but byu obviously has much more opportunity to play their way in i mean houston should be a top 15 team right now there's no question about it they should be number 15 or so right this second and they're not it, frankly they're not and there's not necessarily a moment where houston is going to grab your attention with one of their games unless they go and you know beat Texas Tech 70 to 7 or something like that. Like that would be that would be the one way that they could maybe uh get some juice is if they're destroying teams. Cuz Cincinnati managed to do it without destroying teams, but it's going to be hard. I mean, I will I will absolutely acknowledge. It will be hard for them to gain some of that juice with what they have in front of them. Because then the second thing is who they're going to beat. I mean, like the 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 Notre Dame type of game thing. Again, Cincinnati, Cincinnati was just the just the perfect scenario of how this happens. But Houston actually had was set up to do this 
six years ago. Because in 2015, Houston went 13-1. and one. They finished number eight in the final AP poll. And then guess who they played in the first game of the year in 2016? That they was the played Oklahoma game, right? Oklahoma. And guess what they did? They beat Oklahoma. So they were coming in. They were juicy. They were coming in, right? Really good year. They had Tom Herman as their head coach back then. He was a little bit famous. They come in as number 15 team in the country. They beat number three, Oklahoma, and they jumped to number six. And then it's on. Now all you've got to do is run the table. Because guess what else they did later that year? They beat number three, Louisville, from the ACC later that They beat the number three team in the country twice in 2016. And they also lost to Navy and SMU. So so they blew it. That was it. That 12-0, 13-0 season is in. No doubt about it. Oklahoma and Louisville, are you kidding me? So we've seen... Houston actually like was the blueprint before before Cincinnati. That blueprint because Ohio State then played Oklahoma in 2016 in Week Three. So the idea that like Oklahoma's coming off this loss to Houston is like what's going on? Houston's really good. I I just think it's impossible. So this is not this is not my debate about why I don't think Houston is good. I just think without that game, and I don't know who their schedule maker is, now they're they're going to be in the Big 12, right? So that's going to be different. But they have not really, like, since they had that Oklahoma series, they have a Utah series schedule for 26-27, but it's not going to matter because they're in the Big 12, so it'll take care of itself. I don't know why they don't have a game like that. I don't know if it was a strategy. I don't know if Dana Holgerson came in and said, I don't want to play Oklahoma. I don't know if they had a game that somebody canceled on. I don't know if they just couldn't get it on the schedule. I didn't know if they were worried about just making a bowl game and we want four freebies in the non-conference. But this just is like Kansas Rice, Texas Tech. Can't I mean, for real, it's like, oh, we're going to play a Big 12 team. The worst one. I mean, it's almost you'd be better off. So I just that's why I just don't know that we should spend any time discussing them because. Houston junior high might go undefeated too, but their schedule's not good enough to get in the playoffs. So what are we doing here? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously tough. I think that they don't get Cincinnati and or UCF in the regular season, right? Because I think that Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not going to be the kind of team that they were last year, but they'll probably be ranked at the time of the game. I I'd need to check exactly when they, well, I guess they play Arkansas in week one. So that's probably, that's probably not an ideal situation for them, but you know, I mean, Cincinnati would be a team that would have a chance to be ranked. I think that SMU will have a chance to be ranked. I, I think that UCF will be on the edge of that ranking. So to only maybe get one ranked team in the regular season puts them in a real tough spot, like in a real, real tough spot. I think that the only other piece of this that we would probably need to address is, you know, after we get past those two teams, uh, Alabama and Ohio State's, you know, what are the chances of chaos, right? What are the chances of everybody else having two losses? Like, I don't think it's impossible, but it certainly is improbable. It hasn't happened before. And that's that's what it would take. Houston's not making it at 13-0 with this schedule over any team that's 12-1, and and there probably will be at least two 12-1 teams. I like, I like, I, I want to be nice. Well, I don't really want to be nice. Um <laughs> So, like, I think they are in contention for the UCF fake national title competition, right? 
that they can make up a trophy out of tinfoil or whatever and give it to themselves. That, I think, is more of a comparison here. Central Florida 2017, they go 12-0 and in the American. They say, we won it. FIU, Maryland, Memphis, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Navy, Austin, P, SMU, UConn, Temple, South Florida, Memphis. Like, that's your, right? And they just, I mean, they got up to number 14 in the country. Then they won their bowl game. So, I mean, that's, it's just, I'm a, I'm a no. I'm a no. And we'll say our textures, the way I ask the textures, or not the textures, the Twitter subscribers um, this week, Shahan, usually I say yes or no. This team, yes or no. This team, yes or no. This week I said Houston and Wisconsin, no to both, yes to both, just Houston, just Wisconsin. So I, I put it all in one question because we do really only have one spot. So let's have a Wisconsin discussion. I don't like discussions where you lead with the schedule, right? You have to also be good. Now, listen, you said Houston's good. They've got some NFL guys. They've got a real quarterback, an experienced quarterback. They've got a big-time coach and Dana Holgerson. There's a lot to Houston. But I do think when you do playoff stuff, it's not schedule, it's path. So I guess that might be a distinction without a difference. But I do think Wisconsin has a path, but I think they also have an established defense where we've talked a lot about coordinator movement this offseason. They have one of the best defensive coordinators in the country and Jim Leonard, who's been around and frankly might be the is on his way to being the Brent Venables of the Big Ten. This is a legit dude who builds a top 10 defense every year. Last year, when Georgia was being the best defense anybody ever saw, you could find stats where Wisconsin was ranked ahead of them. Now, nobody was saying Wisconsin was actually better. You're playing the Big Ten West, no quarterbacks, all that kind of thing. But Wisconsin plays good defense. They've got veteran corners back. Nick Herbig at defensive end is outside linebacker is going to do some stuff. They have a couple big dudes in the middle. They always have linebackers. They're, you know, they lost some guys, right? Leah Chanel and Jack Sanford, they lost some really good linebackers, that, but they'll have dudes. And then offensively, they changed some stuff, which I think is good for them. Paul Christ brought in Bobby Engram from the NFL to freshen up the offensive play calling. So they, they, they still have the side of the ball where they're, they want to stay the same. And then on the other side of the ball where they've run it, run it, run it, run it, but they got stale. They are as unbalanced as any program in the country when it comes to your run percentage versus your pass percentage. I think last year it was like 65% run plays. They want to get back closer to 50-50. So that puts it on Graham Mertz, who if Wisconsin gets in, is not going to be super high on our quarterback list. They have a great young running back in Braylon Allen, who I think is a dark horse Heisman candidate. If this if this playoff path hits for Wisconsin at all, little thin at receiver, but pretty good offensive line. This Wisconsin, they already ha- they always have an offensive line. And then they go to Ohio State in week four, and otherwise, I think they also have Michigan State. But like, you got to beat some good teams, and I just think there's some solid teams in the West. I think Wisconsin's the best team in the Big Ten West. I think. I like the defense. I'm intrigued by the change on offense. And I think there's a path. And that path is something like losing Columbus, go 11 and one, make the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State again, and then find a way. Find a way on that Saturday in Indianapolis. Now, I mean, are they? Well, you know, if they're the number seven team in the country at 11 and one, and they're playing Ohio State, knowing if we beat Ohio State, we're in. That deserves to be in this discussion. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that that is a real team to talk about. So that's why I'm throwing them out here in the preseason. That's my Wisconsin case. What do you think? Okay, so I'm actually going to take it to another question real quick. 
so talking Michigan State, they play at Washington versus Ohio State versus Wisconsin at Michigan at Penn State. How many of those games are they losing out of those five? Michigan State? Yeah. Two or three. Yeah. So we're talking about a team that's probably borderline ranked if they're ranked, right? Like by the end of the year. Like I think that that they're going to be in that discussion because because the schedule is so hard, not because I think that they're going to be bad. Right. So let's say that Michigan State is unranked. Does that mean that Wisconsin plays one ranked team all year and loses by four touchdowns? Well, I do think, listen, somebody will sneak in. I mean, Minnesota or, or Iowa, somebody in the West will also be ranked because they're five and two at some point here. I do think if you're 11 and one in a power five conference, you're in the mix. I think like, I think you would, I think the gravitational pull of being in what is viewed as the second best conference pulls you up, even if what you're saying is true. But I want to be clear after we just talked about Houston, which was UTSA, Texas tech, rice and Kansas, we're having a schedule discussion about Wisconsin that their schedule's not good enough. I just want to make sure that's what we're doing here. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that I think that it's not as far off as it should be. Right. I mean, they get I think Washington State in the non-conference is a fine team. Uh, then they play Illinois State, New Mexico State, you know, an FCS team and maybe the worst team in the entire FBS. So, like, I don't think that if they uh, we're assuming they lose to Ohio State, obviously, pretty significantly, like there's no other prove it games on the whole schedule. Like there's none. There's not going to be a game that we're going to be talking about heading into the week. Most likely unless Michigan state's better than we think. And I mean, Michigan state's a preseason top 15 team. Michigan state is a borderline team. I think we could throw into this discussion here, but again, they play in the, so the hard thing about the big 10 is Wisconsin, Wisconsin's in the West, which doesn't have very many good teams. They're playing Ohio state and Michigan state as their crossover games, but we're dismissing the Michigan state game potentially because Michigan state plays in the hard side of the division of the conference and maybe they'll have too many losses. So Wisconsin's now going to get dinged for being both in the easy division, but also playing the teams from the hard division who are going to beat each other up. I just, I mean, it's a, it's a hard, but this is also the, the world that Wisconsin's lived in and that people have bought at times a couple years ago, they were 12 and 0 going to the big 10 championship game. They were the number three team in the country, right? I mean, we weren't having a discussion about like, oh, their schedule was terrible. So we've seen how it works when Wisconsin is, it's the best version of Wisconsin. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that uh, to, to focus on football itself for a second. Mm, I like football. Yes, yes, yes. Defensively, they're going to be special. I, I'm not too worried about what they lost on the defense side of the ball because I think that they're such a scheme-driven team. Obviously, uh, Leo Chanel's is gone, right? And so, I mean, that, that's a loss, but I think that they're going to be able to fill those gaps just fine with Jim Leonard in there. Offensively, I love Braylon Allen. I, I think that Braylon Allen's one of the most underrated players in the country and and deserves a lot more attention than he's getting. I just don't think they have anything special on offense other than him. I don't think that when you look at their offensive line play over the past couple of years, it hasn't been Wisconsin line play for a couple of years, which is a little bit of a surprise because that was just assumed for so long. Their quarterback play has been a net negative for the past two years, basically, since the beginning, I believe, of the COVID season when Graham Mertz played some nice games. He had one good game, I think. He like went nuts (laughs) in his first start. And then it was like, oh, my gosh. And then it was like, nope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll obviously uh, we'll obviously get to it if we get to it. But Graham Mertz would be last on my list of quarterbacks in this discussion by a pretty good margin. And honestly, when you even compare him to the quarterbacks who we have talked about who didn't make the field, 
I mean, I'd have him behind Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. I'd have him behind Clayton Toon at Houston. I'd, I, I'm trying to think who else we've talked. I'd have him uh, probably in the discussion with Ty Buckner at Notre Dame. Like, he'd be last among any team, I think, that we've discussed. Now, I think that there's upside there. I think he can be better than that. But when you have a quarterback who completed less than 60% of their passes through for less than 2,000 yards last year and 10 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, that's that's garbage, right? Like, like you're starting from garbage and hoping it can get better. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens when you put a Texas team head to head with another team. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think that there's legitimate reasons to vote no on both of them. I, I do. I, I, let me read you. Let me read you a quote before you go back to the to the G word here. Let me read you a quote. Uh, he, Graham Mertz told reporters in Wisconsin this, and again, the beat writers on the ground are, are how uh, a lot of us who aren't at the practices learn about stuff. This was last week. He said this. I'm ready to go. You could say it's cocky, confident. I'm just ready. Boom. Take that. <laughs> How about that? Wow, man! I, I remember being at uh, whew, I remember visiting uh, Houston camp and Clayton Toon being like, "Oh man, I'm not ready to go. I don't want to play football very much." <laughs> like, like uh, I, I yeah. respect it. Uh, if you are a wide receiver recruit coming out of high school and you're hearing that Graham Mertz is going to throw you the ball, that's probably not the most exciting thing to you. Uh, there's a lot of things to like. I like the way that they structure their team. I, I like the way that they do things. And in having a great defense and a fantastic running back, like a, a game-changing type running back, that's going to get you pretty far. But into the playoff discussion, I, I mean, that's a lot to ask for me for a team like Wisconsin that has been decidedly okay. And by the way, like, I, I don't want to, you know, cast dispersions on on a guy, but like, I also just don't think that Wisconsin's quite been Wisconsin uh, under Paul Christ. Not not to the same extent. I think that they've started to regress as a program. You know, we, uh, back in 2017, in his third year, they won 13 games, and since then it's been eight, ten, the four and three, which was the COVID year. So I don't really put much into that. And then a nine and four. Like these are not Wisconsin results. This is not what we saw under Brett Bielema. This is not what we saw under Barry Alvarez. Like I don't think that. I don't think that Wisconsin under Paul Chris deserves the same benefit of the doubt that we gave it when they were just clearly the team that was going to win 10 games every single year. Yeah, no, and I never give Wisconsin benefit of the doubt because of that. I think you're exactly right on that, which is why I'm really encouraged that he brought in a new offensive mind. I think Jim Harbaugh, part of what sparked Michigan last season was they reshuffled the staff and they brought in new guys, fresh ideas, and it absolutely worked. So to bring in Bobby Ingram to freshen up the offense to say, we've got to throw it better. You bring him from the NFL. His son's on the team. I'm very encouraged by that. If this was Paul Chris still being Paul Christ. I mean, he's still the head coach, but he I think he let go of the reins, at least to some degree offensively, which to me is a huge deal. And if Graham Mertz isn't terrible, and I do think I like doing the the southern version of the West Coast version of the northern version of I think he's I think he's Midwest DJU, like big time recruit who was not that good. So now at, at Clemson, do you think, well, DJU Englelight? Doesn't have it. Or do you think, hey, this guy people thought was super talented before. Maybe he'll get it together. Graham Mertz, I think, is is a version of that. He wasn't as highly ranked as DJ, but he was the highest ranked quarterback Wisconsin had ever gotten. And what if like what if he's good? He has the weird COVID year and then he did not have a great year last year. But with the new guy running the offense, I think it's possible. I think the path is there. So I vote yes 
I pick Wisconsin over Houston. I would vote no on Houston because I just think there's there's no path for them, even at 13 and 0. Wisconsin, I think there's possibility. I think there's path. I think there are things they are excellent at, and I can see how the things they aren't good at could get better. And I will I will tell you this. The the Twitter people didn't want they don't want they don't they don't they're nothing. They don't want anybody. <laughs> I'm shocked. So so, you know, that is we, we kind of know that the, the case here is if you put up Houston and I put up Wisconsin, somebody's got to persuade the other guy because Twitter doesn't want any part of it. Neither team, 61 percent. Both teams, five. So those are thanks. Thanks. To those five. Just Wisconsin, 18 percent. Just Houston, 16%. So overall, that's a 23% yes for Wisconsin. That's a 21% yes for Houston. Neither of those are good enough to get a yes vote from the Twitter folks. So where are you on Houston and Wisconsin? I think that I'm leaning no on both of them. I, I think that the path is just really hard for Houston. Like you said, it's probably more of a UCF path. Um, I, I think they're going to go 13-0, and 0, and I think that they're going to be Really excited. And, and also, by the way, I mean, when you talk about Houston, that's huge for them entering the Big 12. They're going to finish the season AP top 10. They're going to go to a major bowl game. They're going to have a chance to beat somebody like all this is great. All this is fantastic. But yeah, I mean, it's just a lot to ask for them to get up to being top four when they're probably not going to play a good team uh, outside of maybe SMU, who I do think will be a good team until probably playing Cincinnati or maybe SMU again in the conference championship game. So it's probably just a little too much. And I just, I, I just can't see the vision on Wisconsin right now. I, I, I saw what they did to end the year and I liked it, but it just, it's a lot to ask for a team like that to just suddenly turn into something that they haven't been right. Like to turn into, to being a team that can compete with Ohio state. Cause, cause we talked about it. And I mean, we did end up putting Texas A&M in, but it's like, if you can't, conceivably can compete with the team in front of you like I don't know and and I don't see the pathway to them being able at all to compete with Ohio State like at all and that's what it'll take that's what it'll take I think that this is a team that has a good chance of getting back to the Rose Bowl and that's a hugely successful season hugely successful but like I think that success for Wisconsin and success for Houston are actually going to look pretty dang similar this year Mm. And neither is like worthy of playoff discussion. The heart was so Wisconsin again, pretty easy schedule, non-conference at Ohio State in week four. The one thing there is the Ohio State had real questions about its run defense last year. They got run on by Michigan and Oregon in the two games they lost. It's only week four. Everybody's anticipating that Jim Knowles, the $2 million a year defensive coordinator, is fixing things. But it's a lot of the same players. And that's still early in the year. So And Braylon Allen, I think Braylon Allen has a chance to be the best running back in college football this year. So, again, do I think Wisconsin is going to come to Columbus on September 24th and beat Ohio State? No. Can I picture what it looks like? Yes, I can picture what it looks like. It's Braylon Allen running for 260 yards. And and like Ohio State can't tackle him. And Wisconsin wins, like runs the ball all over him, keeps C.J. Stroud off the field and wins 28-26 kind of thing. Right. I'm not predicting it. But I could see it. But then the hard thing is, again, I have Wisconsin going 11 and one and 
meeting Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. If they lose to Ohio State, they then get like Michigan State in their sixth game. They can maybe, I'll be curious when we maybe get them back in the mix. Because as you said, they've lost, they lose to the good team they played. And then how good is Michigan State and Iowa? We might not, you know, again, if they're going to be like the eighth, number eight team in the country going into the Big Ten Championship game, they should be in this discussion probably. But they might not get in until mid-November because I don't know if they're going to be able to impress us enough if they if they don't, you know, if they go, if they lose to Ohio State on a last second field goal, then I think we'll be impressed. So, um, OK, so we're no on both these teams. I think it was two worthy discussions to have, like, let's think about this other because I do think as we just talked about, it, I think accidentally we're talking about playoff, not national championship. Cincinnati, we were trying to make a case for the Houston path, right? And Wisconsin, we're trying to make a case for the Michigan path. Run the ball, great defense. Your quarterback doesn't have to be great, but he's good enough. And then do you, you, you find a way to beat Ohio State. And right now, we're no on both of them. But I think we know what it looks like, and it's not impossible. So no on both. I think when it comes to Wisconsin, too, like if they go – 11 and one and they're number eight heading into the last weekend. Obviously then at that point, they deserve to be in the discussion, but I don't have an issue with making them have to do it with making them have to prove that they're better than everybody else. I think that week two game against Washington state will be pretty interesting. Washington state was a bowl team last year. They're a, they're a solid team. They brought in a new offensive staff. I, I think that they're going to be able to do some stuff. And, and so for Wisconsin, if they're able to handle that game pretty easily, that'll say something. If they're able to compete with Ohio state and not get destroyed, that says something, uh, you know, and then I think that maybe if they do all that stuff, if they're whatever it is, five and one, six and one heading into that game against Michigan state on October 15th, I think that then we can start having a discussion about whether they deserve to be there. But I have no issue with saying you have to do it first. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right. When we come back, the 11 existing teams, we're going to rank them by their quarterbacks next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan are back. I will tell you guys that we did have a discussion when we drafted the 10 best players on the playoff teams, we drafted four quarterbacks. And those four quarterbacks were Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams of USC, and Devin Leary of NC State. I think we have to sort of, I mean, I hope, you know, our thinking is our thinking. So we're not going to all of a sudden draft Devin Leary number one when on the show 48 hours ago, we had him behind those other three, but we had healthy discussions about them where, and you guys kind of know what's up with those guys. I'm really curious about this other tier. So we're not going to spend forever on this. There's you guys kind of know quarterbacks. We want to have the discussion, but this tier was really hard for me to try to figure out because you're balancing upside versus guys who maybe aren't spectacular, but are going to win games, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm uncertain. Who do you have 11th Shahan? Of the 11 playoff teams in our discussion, ranking them by their quarterbacks. I got uh, I got your boy, DJU, uh, up at number wow. 11. So okay. DJ was legitimately terrible last year. Uh, he finished last in the ACC among 15 eligible quarterbacks in passer rating. That's shocking. 
I mean, we're talking behind Garrett Schrader at Syracuse. We're talking behind all sorts of guys. Completed 50, 55.6% of his passes for 200, uh, 2,246 yards, nine touchdowns and six inter- and 10 interceptions. I don't know why I stopped being able to speak there for a second. But yeah, obviously those numbers are not very good. He threw the ball 374 times, did not go well. He was the reason that Clemson was bad last year, like by their standards. He was explicitly the reason. There's there's really n- not much else to it. And heading into this year too, obviously I think he's going to get pushed by uh, Kate Klubnik a little bit heading into the year. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if they've really fixed their receiver issues. I don't know if they've completely transformed their offensive line issues. I, I just don't see it. I, I think that he is the biggest hindrance to any team when it comes to their quarterback play. Okay. Should we forget what he was as a recruit, what his sort of his size, his arm, should we just, should we forget? I'm not trying to be facetious. Should we forget all that and just look at when he played, this is what he did. And it wasn't very good. Or can I, cause if you do that, then I think you're right. If you hang on to some of, well, this is what we thought this guy was going to be. Then I think he's higher. And also, depending how much you say, if he's, if you think, if he's actually that terrible, they'll go to club neck by October. And then their quarterback play, we think will be better. And I think you have to, I'm factoring that in somehow. I don't know how, because I had him eighth, but I think your case for having him last is pretty strong if you only go by how he played, <laughs> I mean, if what are we judging only, people on now by how they do by, by playing football? I mean, he's thrown nearly 500 passes in his career at this point, right? Like he can get better. It's not that he can't get better, but when you watch these guys play, when you watch these 11 guys play, he has clearly been the worst football player of the group. I mean, his pass rating is 108. That that's awful. That That's, that's horrific. But if we had, if we had ju- if we judged him about off the year before, off 2020 when Trevor Lawrence had COVID and he threw for 400 yards against Notre Dame, like that game against you go to now they lost, but you go to Notre Dame with the the starter is out and you're a true freshman if you got to do that. I mean that's as good has has Cade McNamara ever played a game that good? Right? I mean I don't like and I get you know you pare down the offense you give them easy throws to make that kind of thing. I don't I don't know. He wasn't good at football last year. If I, <laughs> I have a hard, I, again, this is why I'm I'm sort of spinning myself in circles here on some of these guys because if you said to me right now, let's go try your try to go make the playoff. Would you rather have DJ or would you rather have Cade McNamara or Blake Shapin? I I don't know. Let, let let me put it this way. If Cade McNamara was the quarterback at Clemson, I think they would be a better team because also, by the way, of what they have on the other side. I think that if they didn't make mistakes, if they did what they were supposed to do, if they were solid and consistent and did some really nice things and maybe had some games with some upside, I think they would absolutely be a better football team than DJ Uyunglele going out there and trying to play hero ball and doing it poorly. So do you really think... And again, lists like this, they're everything all at once. Do you think there's a pretty good chance that by the time we get to the end of this season, when we look at these 11 teams and say, who had the worst quarterback play in 20, what year is it? 2022, Clemson will have had the worst quarterback play? 
I, I know that's not exactly what we're doing here, but it's a little bit of what we're doing here. And is there, are you factoring in any club, Nick, or is this just based on the, who the starters are going to be in week one? Um, I'm, I mean, I'm primarily judging it on the guy who's starting for them. Um, I will say, I, I think that Klubnik ha- is going to have some upside. I do think he probably will take over at some point. I don't think that Klubnik is Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that he's the instant plug and play, super polished, already ready for prime time type player. Like he's a really good player and he's going to be great uh, later in his career. But I do think that he's going to have lots of freshman growing pains too. Like, I don't think that he's going to be this, the switch that flips. That's all of a sudden perfect. I think he's a little bit of a project as well. So, I mean, yeah, on, honestly, looking at, I, glancing at the list again, I do think that there is a legitimate chance that they have the worst pass offense in this group of 11 teams. Okay. I, I don't really disagree with you, but I'm going to keep him eighth anyway, because I'm going to stay and, and I'm going to have to try to explain why as we go later. My 11th guy is Haynes King at Texas A&M. It feels like by all reports, he's going to be the the guy who wins that three-way quarterback battle. And this is where you get a little into, okay, Haynes King and DJ Uangale are both highly recruited guys who were brought in with a lot of excitement at big-time programs. One of them has played and was bad, and one of them has never played. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have the guy who played, right? So Haynes King, if you have Haynes King ahead or you have Texas A&M ahead of Clemson, you're, you're doing that because you're taking the unknown over the known, which wasn't good, when actually, well, you know, that guy had a bad year, but he's got all this experience. I don't know if he learned from his mistakes. He got in better shape, which we covered on previous podcasts. DJ lost 30 pounds of chicken finger weight, whatever. And Haynes King won the job last year, got hurt right away, and has never really done this before. Now, he's beating out a veteran in Max Johnson, which I think is fair to factor in. Because it's like Jimbo could just take the guy who was LSU's quarterback. He's like, no, I'm taking this guy. Okay, that's I think that's it's not by default. Winning the battle itself, I think, is a plus. But he's also never done it. And so I don't know. I have him 11th. Where do you have Haynes King? I have him 10. I have him next up. Um, I, I think that for me, this is probably a little bit where I do factor in that I think that their quarterback room has a lot more a much higher floor I guess with Max Johnson as well um but you know I, I mean w- like you said when you've got two quarterbacks who are both highly recruited obviously DJ was the number one quarterback in the country but Haynes was a top 100 player as well and you know one of them has played very badly <laughs> like I tend to, to weigh that against them more than somebody who hasn't now I will say you know there was all this talk last year from Texas A&M folks about uh about well the reason that we were bad is because obviously Haynes got her and Zach Calzada was I mean Zach, Zach Calzada obviously would have been last on this list by a pretty good margin but but uh, if we judged by how you play against Alabama he would have been first oh well, that that is true that is true uh and Desmond Ritter would have probably been last but uh, <laughs> but I think uh you know I mean I will say like Haynes King went in against Kent State and threw three interceptions in his one start, right? Like he wasn't awesome <laughs> by any means. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's freshman growing pains. You know, you you kind of assume that that's a one game thing where he's trying to figure out what he can and can't do. But at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's a lock that oh well, if Haynes King stayed healthy, you know, Texas A&M would have gone twelve and zero or something like that. Like, I, I think that Haynes King is also a questionable value at this point. But for me, when you look at what what DJ did last year, like it was again, I, I explicitly say 
he is the reason Clemson was not Clemson last year, explicitly. There's no other reason why Clemson was not Clemson. I mean, the receiver play wasn't great. Their running backs were new. Like there were there were there was context, of course, but like DJ was the biggest drop off between 2020 and 2021 by far. And he's the reason that they lost three games. All right. So you have DJ 11, Haynes King 10. Who do you have nine? I've Cade McNamara nine. Okay. I have Cade McNamara 10. So, and this could be insulting. Not a lot of open practices. Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network. The Big Ten Network is going. He was on a radio show and was talking about how great Cade McNamara looked. Ball's not hitting the ground, like running the offense, experienced dude. But this is, again, he's he's the Stetson. If Graham Mertz is the DJ Uyunglele of the North. Cade McNamara is the Stetson Bennett of the North. And even at this point, we're going to start to get into guys who have a little more upside. I think we know what Cade McNamara is. And what is that? Good enough to make the playoff. But you have him ninth. I have him tenth. Right? I don't. Is this is if Haynes King and DJ are like they might be bad, right? Right. I think Cade McNamara is like well, he's not going to be bad. We just don't know how how big the upside is. Totally, totally. And that's why for me, I put those other guys behind him because I do think that he's not going to make mistakes. I do think that both Clemson and Texas A and M would be better with that level of consistency in the lineup, even if it didn't have upside. Uh, And and I think that the other part of this too, that I'm going to be curious to watch is I think that their receiver room is going to be a lot better this year with, with Ronnie Bell back and, and with that freshman coming in. So like, I don't necessarily know that it's going to be Cade McNamara taking a step, but I think that that passing game could take a step with a little bit more explosion on the outside. Cause, cause their receiver room was pretty, average last year they didn't have a whole lot of explosion they didn't have a whole lot of separation and i think that getting a guy like that uh, uh like ronnie bell back will help from that perspective so i i think that if you get what Cade mcnamara did last year i think that that's more than enough to be number nine ahead of those two other guys heading in if you get a little more than him i think that there's that potential now he's not going to He's not going to suddenly turn into, you know, Johnny Manziel tomorrow, right? Like he's not going to be super dynamic necessarily, but I think that he can get better in the context of that offense. I think he can, uh, you know, be more productive. And I think that he's going to be relied on a little more. And I don't think that's a bad thing. All right. So you have McNamara nine. I have him 10. So we'll go to the guy that I have nine. And you have to tell me why this guy's ahead of Cade McNamara. Blake Shapin from Baylor. I had him nine. Where do you have him? Yeah, I have him eight on my list. Okay. So if McNamara is sort of like the floor of like, he's going to be solid at the worst. And his level of play last year was enough to help get his team to the playoff. Why is Blake Shapin at Baylor ahead of him for both of us on this list? So there are two factors that I think come into this. One, I think that you can legitimately take into account that that he did beat out an incumbent we knew what Gary Bohannon was and the staff felt like he was better after a year of being with him right or actually two years of being with him I I think that when we look at because if if we if we talk to Gary Bohannon on this list he's probably right around where Cade McNamara is probably a little behind him uh you know and I think that we can relatively easily assume that they feel like Blake Shapin is going to be better the other thing you have to point to is man that first half of the Big 12 championship game was 
phenomenal from him. He completed his first 18 passes against, you know, we talked about it. Georgia was the number one defense in the country. Wisconsin statistically was number two. Oklahoma State was number three, and they were specifically good against the pass. And you saw uh, Blake Shapin come in in the first half of that game and complete 18 consecutive passes, throw for 180 yards and three touchdowns. Now, he suffered a shoulder injury uh, in the second half and kind of fell apart from there a little bit, but you kind of saw the vision. You saw how dynamic he had a chance to be against a really good defense. Um, you, you know, I think that we've seen some of his deep balls that that look just a little different than what Baylor's had the past couple of years. Um, I think that we know that he has upside. And I think that you also know that his floor is pretty decent too. I, I don't think he's going to have a low floor after what he was able to do the last couple of years. So it's some level of perceived improvement over Gary Bohannon, which could be wrong, by the way. Obviously, we have to wait and see it uh, in football games. But I think that you trust that staff and and trust the decisions that they made to to push an incumbent out the door, of course. Uh, and I think that you also look at what he did. You know, he also looked pretty good against Texas Tech. Really, you know, in his in his first season on campus, completed 72% of his passes, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, that's, that's a pretty good start, right? Like, I mean, we obviously have to wait and see. It, it's one thing to be thrown into action uh, like he was for three games last year versus being the guy that everybody's preparing for. But the, I think the early signs have been good. And if he's continued to improve the way that people say that he has, I mean, I think that that's enough to put him into the discussion because I think that if you want to say that Cade McNamara is more of a sure thing, I think it's absolutely correct. But Blake Shapin has upside, I think, and that's not necessarily something that we know about Cade. Okay, so we agree on our bottom four in a slightly different order, but we have the same four guys, which is going to bring us to number seven on our list. And this is where I put the guy. The midpoint. <laughs> yeah, Kirby Smart might be calling. This is where I put Stetson Bennett. Where did do you have, where do you have Stetson? Bennett? I'm right there as well. Okay, and I know that that Kirby Smart has said things like he's the he's the most underrated player in college football. Part of the reason he's underrated is because Georgia did everything they could to not play him. That he was he was third on the depth chart at this point a year ago. That JT Daniels then got hurt and they put in Stetson Bennett, but they also have these other Brock Vandegriff and other guys on the roster. And Georgia itself, any uncertainty or lack of confidence around Stetson Bennett stemmed from the fact that Georgia only got to him by injury and default. So like you can be mad at us, but that's the deal. And I do think it's on the table and I have not finalized my playoff picks for, for, for next week yet. I do think it's on the table that if the defense is only very good instead of the best we've ever seen and you put more on Stetson Bennett it will look different and not as good. Once he took over last year and I threw out, I think it was, it was the get, the week before their last game that when all the SEC teams play that terrible team, I think it was Chattanooga. I threw that game out because it didn't matter. So all the games that mattered once he kind of really took over, I think it started with Auburn. Once he really took over, his average game was 16 of 26 for 249 yards in nine games. And that includes like the SEC championship game and two playoff games. So against high levels of competition, 16 of 26 for 249 is the average game. 21 touchdowns, five interceptions. So that's pretty solid, but I don't know. And I'm I'm not aggravated by it, but they won the national championship. He did exactly what his team needed him to do. But 
there are specific Georgia complaints about lists exactly like this. Why isn't Stetson Bennett higher on the list? And it's like, I don't know, because you thought he was the third best quarterback in your own room when your national championship season started. So sorry, we have him behind CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. I don't know. I don't mean to be angry. I'm not angry at Stetson Bennett, but we also have to remember like what the deal is here. And boy, oh boy, did N'Kobe Dean help make him look good last year. Yeah, so much of what they did last year was trying to keep the game manageable to him, right? Like, we remember the individual throws that he made down the field because they were exceptions, right? Like, because they were different. We remember the George Pickens throw because he had never thrown a ball like that in his entire life. And uh, I, I think that we probably do go a little too far sometimes of, uh, of you know, he was not a liability. He was a plus, plus player on this team. It's just not like the other guys in front of him, right? Not, he wasn't a game changer. He didn't carry that offense at any point. He didn't, you know, and, and I think that it's going to be interesting now to see him this year because Brock Bowers is back, but Jermaine Burton's gone. You know, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, with maybe slightly less talented wide receivers, what's going to happen there. But statistically, I mean, he was pretty good, right? Like, like you said, about 200 yards a game, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He actually, you know, one, one stat that he actually did very well in uh, 10 yards per pass attempt is very, very good. Now, again, a lot of it is because he wasn't asked to do things that he couldn't do. And that's, again, that's not a knock. That's a great job by the coaching staff to put him in good situations. But the question is, when things are off schedule, is Stetson Bennett going to be the guy who's going to drag you out of it? I mean, probably not, right? Like, he's kind of he's kind of a better Cade McNamara, right? Like that's kind of what he's going to be asked to do. Um, and, and we'll kind of have to wait and see whether he is a better Cade McNamara too, now kind of heading into this uh, this super senior season. So uh, look, Stetson Bennett's a national champion forever. They're going to build him a statue at Georgia. And you know what? He's going to be a legend, never pay for a drink anytime ever again in the state of Georgia. And like, isn't that enough? Don't, don't, don't we not have to move him up this list? <laughs> Can't he just live this great life that he's going to live forever? But also, if he's Mac Jones, we'll be back here in a year being like, well, okay, sorry. <laughs> you were right. Right. He's the so first round I, pick. I mean, like that's I'm, I there's whatever, you know, small percent chance of that happening. I have I've underestimated this guy every step of his career. But the national championship quarterback is seventh on our list. I'm glad we're in agreement on it. I don't think we have to apologize for it because I think you can see why everybody else is ahead of him. I have Cam Rising of Utah six. Yep. Yep. Same deal. And then I have Jaron Hall of BYU five. Yep. Jaron Hall, I think, is an NFL quarterback. He certainly talked about that way. And Cam Rising, I think, is closer to the Stetson Bennett, Cade McNamara version of game manager. But he's just like a tough SOB. He was at Texas. Like, I think he invigorated that whole program when he took over as a starter last year. I think he's got a little bit more playmaker in him, maybe than Bennett and McNamara do. But I think Hall has like the next jump of playmaker in him. So we're in agreement on, and heck, I was going to say, Texas quarterbacks, if you were still at Dave Campbell, Texas football, and you were writing about what Blake Shapin, Quinn Ewers, and Haynes King were going to do this year and what it was going to mean for Texas football, awesome. If Dave Campbell had a Utah football magazine and you're covering Jaron Hall and Cam Rising this year in the state of Utah college football, awesome. <laughs> Is it pretty clear to you? I actually went back and forth on the order of these guys. Is it pretty clear to you that Rising should be six and Hall five? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that... Um... I think that what you have to say about rising is that rising is a gamer, right? Like rising is just like a, I mean, I'm trying to think of a good comparison for him. Like, 
<laughs> I guess we can we can compare him to his former teammate. Like he's a little bit Sam Ellingery, right? Like where it's just like, man, he's just like tough and did a lot of the things that you need to do to win football games. And like, you know, it's not necessarily the physicals. That's not really the whole point of it. But uh, but no, I mean, it's it's like he just does everything right. He does everything that your team needs to win. And I think that when you're Utah, that's really what you're looking for. And I think you're right. Like Jaron Hall is the man like if if he continues to work on his game and stand in the pocket like he can launch the ball downfield right like he can he can do the thing at a little bit of a different level now is you know I, I think that as a college quarterback you can make a case that what rising has done is more important than what jaron hall has done i think that's fair i think that you just have to bet on upside when it comes to jaron hall because i think that uh he's shown it at times and i think that he's going to be asked to do it a lot more this year as well I I think that we've seen moments of him being a dynamic player but you know last year a big part of the the reason that BYU was so good was because of their running back Tyler Algier well he's off to the NFL they're going to continue to run the ball at a high level they got some transfers in but I think that they're going to throw the ball a whole lot more this year and so I think that we're going to get to see BYU be you know and and, uh, Jaron Hall be more like a 3,500 yard passing quarterback uh, than than a 2,500 yard passing quarterback so I I like that these two guys are next to each other I'd have them in that order rising then Hall but um but uh, in terms of moving up the list of course but uh, but yeah I I like it Uh, I, I like it a lot and I think that both of them have the potential also to break into that top four group if somebody were to ask us why we have Cam Rising ahead of Stetson Bennett, who won the national title last year, and Cade McNamara, who won the playoff last year. And it, and it's we don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but these guys aren't Heisman contenders. These guys aren't Joe Burrow. These guys aren't Bryce Young, right? They're good college quarterbacks that will find ways to help you win. Why exactly do we have Cam Rising ahead of Bennett and McNamara? Like, could people be mad about that? So, I mean, I, I think the question for me just kind of fundamentally and you know some of this is is uh, you know basic lizard brain thinking but like how many games did Stetson Bennett or Cade McNamara cause their teams to win what in what game were they the most important catalyst in those teams winning games because I can point to those games for Cameron Rising right like there were games where he took over I actually one thing that I'd point to is that uh you know shout out to my uh my boy Charlie Brewer now the starting quarterback at Liberty they were one and two with Charlie Brewer in the lineup. And then he took over and they won all but one game for the rest of the year up until the Rose Bowl. Like they were a different team when Cameron Rising took over that program. Uh, and anybody who watched it could see it. And I'd advise you to go watch it because Utah was a fun as heck team. And I, I think that you can just point to that. And then Jaron Hall, you know, same sort of deal. He had them competitive in some really big games. He, he led them to a victory over Utah, by the way. Uh, the, the first victory over Utah in, I think it was like 10 years, I think it was, in that rivalry game. So, I mean, he's, he's had big games. You know, he's thrown for 300 yards a bunch of times. He's thrown for three or four touchdowns a bunch of times. There are games that you can point to and say, man, Jaron Hall's effort in this game is the primary reason that uh, that BYU won this game. And, like, I think that you can say that Stetson Bennett's fourth quarter is why they won the national championship. But, like... Stetson Bennett's first or third quarters is also why they needed his fourth quarter, you know, like, so it's, it's, it's just, and, and that's not a knock. I think that it's perfectly fine to be a quarterback who just does what they need to do and not more than that. But obviously I think that anybody would take a quarterback who can go out there and make those big plays at the end of games uh, over one who does a lot of right things before that. 
we have a lot of intrigue and faith in BYU on this podcast. I think it's possible that by the end of the year, people are having a conversation about is Darren Hall better than Zach Wilson, who was the number two pick in the draft a couple of years ago after a gigantic year at BYU. I just think Hall, I think, is the start of like the next thing that if rising is sort of the top of that tier, I think Hall is sort of the bottom of the next tier. And that tier are we in agreement that our list then goes Devin Leary of North Carolina State at four, Caleb Williams of USC at three, CJ Stroud of Ohio State at two, and Bryce Young of Alabama at one? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that that's uh, the clear cut list. Uh, like you mentioned, we talked about it pretty at length on the Tuesday show, so we don't need to go too far into it, I don't think. Um, but, but yeah, I think that that's a pretty clear order. You know, Young's the Heisman winner. I think that certainly you can have a Young versus Stroud discussion and it'll be perfectly legitimate. Um, you know, Caleb Williams, I think, is a clear number three after what he did last year at Oklahoma. And I think that Devin Leary is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country for what he did last year at NC State. And when you look at NC State's path, it's very much they bring back everybody on defense and they have a quarterback who we really like and thinks uh, and we think he can elevate their play. So I think that that's a perfect top four. I, I think that Stroud and Young are in a class of their own, I would probably say. And then you know, Williams, Leary, Hall, Rising, maybe even down to Bennett, I think, are probably muddled up a little bit. And that order could shift depending on what happens this year. But I'd, I mean, I'd be pretty shocked if uh, if Young and Stroud aren't number one and number two in some order by the end of the year. Let me ask you if, if this is a fair way to kind of look at this. We had our bottom four in a certain order, right? But generally it was DJ, Uyunglele, Cade McNamara, Haynes King and Blake Shapin. And I think there's, could we have, you know, Cade McNamara has proven it. He's tough. But is that a little bit more of a discussion of, are we sure these teams can win with these guys? Right. Cause I think even that the, the McNamara discussion is, well, you take Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and Dax Hill away. Can you win with those guys? And then you have, I think Stetson Bennett is, you can win with him. Yeah. You can win with him. And then rising is either rising might be half and half win with and win because of. And then Jaron Hall starts the list. The top five guys are quarterbacks. Their teams win because of them. Jaron Hall, Devin Leary, Caleb Williams, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young. And I think, again, that top two is even above that. That's Heisman. Will they be the first pick in the draft conversation? But I think that's a fair way to look at it. And so we're talking about basically, right, Maybe half the teams have quarterbacks you win because of and half the teams have quarterbacks you're trying to win with, which gets back to the discussion we had at the beginning of the pod, which is why this pod's going long. Both can work. But maybe if you're talking about national title, maybe you need a because of guy. And most of the time, and again, Stetson Bennett might be the exception to that rule. Jake Coker. I know. It's like I get it. Well, that whole Bama version, the way Bama used to play football, like but that was uh, Georgia last year was old Bama, like suffocating defense and a quarterback who's good enough. That's the line. You have to be as good as like 2015 Alabama. And then maybe you don't have to have a great quarterback to win. So, you know, all that's all you got to do. Congratulations. Yeah, which is why. But again, this is why we have BYU in this conversation, because we think they have a win because of quarterback. And when you have a, a really experienced team, and we did BYU last week, go back and listen to it. When you have an experienced team and a good coach and a win because of quarterback, man, you're in rare territory. So I think that's fair. I like this list. We're pretty much in agreement. 
Sign up for the Apple shows to listen to the in-depth C.J. Stroud-Bryce Young debate, to listen to the in-depth analysis of Devin Leary at North Carolina State and Caleb Williams at USC. We just don't have time to do it here. Next week, Apple show, Dark Horse Playoff Picks. Any team we have not talked about as a contender, we'll each, maybe we'll do a draft or we'll do something where we say, we haven't talked about them, but who could come from off the scene and make the playoff? And then the free show, the one that you're listening to right now, playoff picks a week from now. Make sure you're reading Shahan at CBSSports.com. We really appreciate you guys being part of what we're doing here on this podcast as we enter our second season on the show. For Shahan, Jeharaja, I'm Doug LeMaurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.